Hi there friends, today on Rethinking Lost we talk about media questions posed in and around the pilot episode and what the characters were like on first impressions. Welcome to Rethinking Lost. I'm Ultimate Manus, and with me today, lurking around my hatch, is Scott Copperman. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode five. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. So today on tap, I think we're going to take a look at some early reviews and discussions from way back in 2004, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. So what we have today is some links from Herc at Ain't It Cool News. And we'll have a link to the original article and the review. And I guess uh, Herc <laughs> had seen a view, had Lurk had seen the pilot at the San Diego Comic Convention in 2004 before the actual airing. And so he did a review of that episode, which we'll go through in a minute. Um, we'll take a look at things, first impressions he had, and things that he thought were right or wrong, things that we thought differently. And then he also had a chance to do an interview with Damon Lindelof, which we found uh, some interesting things in there. And some of it, I think, is well-remembered. Some of it might have been forgotten. So before we get started, I know we've gotten a couple of bits of feedback, some tweets and Twitters and postings up on the Rethinking Lost webpage. So, for example, I got a direct message from Claudia. Um, her actual screen name is Please translate, but she's a member of the Dharma Dummies forum. She knows us from there, uh, under a different name actually. But uh, she said she was a fan of the show and she enjoyed what we're doing and helped help fill the void for her. So give a little shout out to Claudia. Thanks for the the reach out to us. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. <laughs> and um, we had a couple other things actually on the website, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I had a uh, a message from one of my friends who's started listening to it. Uh, they said that it was a sterling performance on the, the first episode. It was just a shame that the first ten ones were unresolved. <laughs> but never mind. We, we got through there anyway, didn't we? That's right. Uh, he did have some questions. A bit tongue-in-cheek questions, though. Uh, how did Jack get so good with a gun? Yeah, he doesn't look like the kind of person whose dad took him out to go shooting. Shooting tin cans in the backyard and such. No. I think he's been raised a little differently. Yeah, he seems to have a bit of a snotty upbringing. Yeah. That's my opinion, anyway. <laughs> he asked a question about uh, people having uh, fillings in their heads. In season five, someone ended up with a, a filling go through their head when they stood next to, is it the Black Rocks or the magnetic properties of the island? And it was a certain area of super high magnetic force. Yeah, and he was just wondering why no one else on the island seems to have any fillings in their heads or fillings in their teeth. Maybe they all have porcelain fillings, or... Oh, they could do, yeah. <laughs> all very nice, shiny white veneers. That's right. Everyone's got pretty teeth. <laughs> and he had a yeah, serious question. Um, you know the lo uh, the knife that Locke was asked to choose when he was a little boy? Mm -hmm. Is it the knife that he gave to Ben to kill Jacob? Ooh. I thought that was quite a good question, actually. I'm just wondering if it's followed another circle, a bit like the compass did. 
I don't know. I'll have to look back at that. That's a good question. Yeah, because I'm, as everyone knows, I'm going through series one at the moment. I'm getting good shots of the uh, the knives now, where he passes one towards and he passes, he hands out a load of knives, doesn't he? He has that trunk full of mm -hmm. knives. Yeah. And so you get a good shot of many knives in there. So I'm just wondering if that knife was planted into that box, which would be hmm. awesome if it, it was be. in there. Yeah, but them questions, they're all from uh, my friend. He's living out in Czech Republic at the moment, so hello to Lee. <laughs> we also got some questions from Mary, um, who goes by Lottery Ticket on almost all the forums she belongs to and on Twitter. Uh, she had mentioned that she forgot about the diamonds being tossed into the grave. She thought they were still in the pearl toilet the whole time until we talked about it. Um, and she asked the question, if a loophole has been played out to its conclusion, Ben stabbing Jacob is what she has in mind. Doesn't it stand to reason that none of the island history dealing with Dharma is of any importance in season six? Mysteries about the Dharma days will most likely be left unanswered. What should get answered is Smokey, Adam and Eve, Locke, Richard Alpert, Hanso, Blackrock, Temple, Whispers, mysteries from season one prior to Ben and the others. So I guess her point is the initial questions we had before they kind of went off on the uh, Hydra Island and introduced Ben and, and that whole other subplot are the only ones that should still be relevant. Mm. Everything with Ben and, and Dharma is kind of irrelevant now. Yeah, I, I think the Dharma card has been played to its fullest now. We've had hints of it in the very beginning, didn't we? Uh, mm -hmm. And then we've had the whole backstory of how it's all become and how events have played out to this point so far so I I think all the time travel's over I think there'll be one more jump and then it'll all be over and all the Dharma backstory and everything to do with Dharma more or less unless there's reconstituted Dharma on the island now well that's the thing I, you know, last year they created this air of a reconstituted Dharma and gave it extra importance kind of a, a contemporary importance uh, with the alternate reality game they tried to introduce at the Comic-Con last year. And it all fizzled out, and it, really nothing came of it, but it did influence the way people thought. They thought that there might be a third group in, in Season 5 who would be the new Dharma, the reconstituted Dharma. Yeah. So I think that they may do something at the Comic-Con this weekend, which once again gives Dharma some importance. I'll be interested to see what kind of thing comes out of Comic-Con. Oh, is it this weekend, is it? It's this coming weekend, yes. If, um, while most of you have only heard our first three episodes as of this recording, uh, which were all about the lost top 50 loose ends, uh, we're actually two shows past that. And it is currently July 20th. So I believe this weekend is the big Comic-Con. So by the time you hear this episode, it'll probably be... Uh, just after Comic-Con ends. Yeah, there will you know, be... Later that week. There'll be bits and bobs out, and hopefully we can go through some bits and bobs of that uh, yeah. next week. Yeah, definitely, if you hear something and you think it's worth discussion, definitely send us a note on Twitter or email, and we'd love to talk about it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, and we did get a little bit more feedback, mostly uh, pats on the back and cheers, and, and uh, off to great start comments from, from other friends and fans, and we appreciate it all. Uh, don't be afraid to give us some suggestions. Don't be afraid to come and join in with us. We're always looking for an extra voice to come and rethink with us. Mm. But thank you to all of all of you who sent us stuff. 
Yeah, no, that'd be brilliant to have someone else on there and give their point of view of uh, either any season at all. That'd be wicked. Yeah. yeah, we can tailor it to your expertise. <laughs> yeah, if you've got a subject you want to do, then come on, let us know, and we'll we'll go through it. Talk about it. So that's kind of how we got to here. We had uh, the pilot, and as Elton said, he's been rewatching. I happened to catch a little bit of it on TV on one of the nine channels that rebroadcast it here in the United States. And uh, we thought we'd take a look at, at the pilot and what people thought of it back then. You have nine channels that broadcast it. Oh, there's sci-fi, there's ABC, and then a lot of syndicated uh, channels. Oh. So like Random Times, it'll be channel 13 might show it at midnight. Um, Sunday morning, some other channel will show it. ABC just showed it this past week. Oh, we don't get that. We just get Sky, and that's it. They got the monopoly on it. So, well, let me read you uh, briefly the analysis of Lost from Herc. So, once again, he has seen the pilot a couple months ahead of time. He wrote this article back in August, so I guess he saw it probably late July or August. So it says Lost 1.1 FAQ. So just indulge me here as I read. All right. What is Lost again? ABC's new sci-fi castaway adventure from Alias Mastermind J.J. Abrams. As with Alias, Abrams himself wrote and directed the pilot. Didn't Herc say Lost was the fall show he was most looking forward to? Did it live up to his expectations? As a matter of fact, it exceeded them, which were, as I can tell you, enormous. Is it the fall's best new show? Without question. Is it a one-hour pilot or two? It's 83 minutes, which is two hours. Each hour would be aired on a different Wednesday. Earlier coaxial reviews reminded Herc of the beloved live-action Saturday morning adventure Land of the Lost. Are there Sleestack, Cro-Magnon Boys, and Brontosauri in the show? There's a polar bear that doesn't seem to belong in the South Pacific Island, where the characters are stranded. There also seems to be something Kong-sized lurking in the distance. But neither we nor the characters get any kind of a look at it. We just see huge chunks of forest getting stomped down. And Greg Grunberg, who cameos as the Crash Plane's pilot, is viciously snacked upon by something both colossal and unglimpsed. <laughs> any other island weirdness? There are flash rainstorms that appear and disappear way too suddenly. And something I will put in Invisotex only because it's revealed at the pilot's end, which we can unspoiler now because much time has passed. It happened yonks ago. <laughs> the group we're following is not the first to find itself stranded on this particular island. Ooh, and the pi- how did they know that in the pilot? Sorry? At the end of the pilot, they learn that they're not the first group to be stranded on this particular island. Did they find... Uh, they had Rousseau's message. Ah, that's right. And okay. Charlie's where are we statement. Right. How many are trapped on this island of the lost? Is it just a man and his two preteen offspring? No, moments before he's eaten, Greg Brunberg learns that at least 48 others survived the crash. I'm going to interrupt again here. Greg Grunberg, who was the pilot, is he someone we're supposed to know? <laughs> is he some famous actor that was almost like a, a star doing a cameo here? That's what I'm wondering. I've never heard of the guy, though. A lot of attention to him, unless maybe he's yeah. someone affiliated with the site. Possibly, but I, I've never heard of the guy, and I haven't recognised his face from anything else. Normally, if you see him, or if you see a familiar face from something, it takes a rewatch to realise, ah, that guy, doesn't it? I think I think he is in something else. I do kind of remember 
him being someone and it was a big deal that he was coming back to I guess did he he appeared in a flashback I'm not sure because we see him talking to someone in the airport prior to the takeoff I can't remember which one of the women he was either talking to Claire Kate or Anne Louise oh I'm gonna have to work my way through it again okay um, obviously, he's noteworthy here. Yeah, it's a bit like when um, when Ben first showed up on the scene, mm-hmm. and then I I stumbled upon uh, Saw, and he's the bad right. guy in Saw, isn't he? But I didn't realise, or it didn't click until I'd watched Saw again. I was like, oh, oh no, just make the film ten times better than what it really was. Yeah. Okay, forty-eight survivors. Do we meet all forty-eight in the first two hours? We don't even see them all. Lots of figures are milling around. Lots of figures are milling about the beach in the background, mostly out of focus, never clearly glimpsed, waiting to come in the foreground in later installments. The two-hour pilot depicts only the survivors' first 24 hours on the island, so we never really see any kind of town meeting with everyone sorting out what to do. I think that's a great way of actually introducing lots and lots of characters, though, because if you end yeah. up with four or five people straight away, then you just cling on to them, don't you? Yeah. But I like the way they blended lots of background people and brought them to the, f- the forefront because Locke it took Locke a long time to actually come to the forefront didn't it right and I'm quite glad they didn't introduce him straight away this is Locke this is Hurley this is Jack blah 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 no oh. early on it was Boone and and Shannon they seemed like more important characters and Jin didn't seem that and that Charlie as well wasn't it he, yeah he's the one who went with uh, Kate and Jack to the the front end of the plane well, here, this segues nicely. So who are the castaways? Are there movie stars, millionaires, farm girls, and scientists? Well, there are definitely tiers in terms of screen time. Tier one, if there's a professor on the island, it's Jack. He's a good-hearted young physician and very useful in the situation. And if there's a Marianne, it's the brunette Kate, the hottest girl on the island and the obvious female beat. She is friendly, game for adventure, and looks spectacular on the beach in her brown pants. <laughs> game for adventure. <laughs> Tier 1, Jack and Kate. Tier 2, Charlie, the former hobbit, Dominic Monaghan. Is as close as we get to Ginger. He plays bass in the once famous rock band called Drive Shaft, and like many on the island, harbors a deep secret. Hurley, who fans of Curb Your Enthusiasm might remember as the plus-sized drug dealer, is the show's main comic relief. A generation-wide Gilligan whose sunny pragmatism, long curly locks, and considerable girths may have been designed to remind any cool fans of a certain entertainment website maven. So Tier 2 is Charlie and Hurley. Tier 3, Saeed, an affable military vet with survival skills and a history that includes combating U.S. troops as a member of the Iraqi National Guard, Republican Guard. Sawyer is a surly American and Saeed's societal nemesis. We don't find out much about him beyond the fact that he's suspicious and obnoxious. So tier three is Saeed and Sawyer. Yeah, so with these three tiers, I know there's an, another one here, but yeah. you, you've got your two mains, mm-hmm. two main characters, you've got your comic relief, and you've got your bad guys in your first yeah. three tiers here, haven't you? Yeah. Tier four is Shannon, the island's Cordelia Chase, a stunning bikini-clad party blonde who tans as the others worry, certain against all logic that rescue is imminent. Boone is Shannon's far nicer and more realistic brother. Claire is a very pregnant girl concerned about the health of her unborn child. Michael is a father just becoming acquainted with his young son. Walt just lost his mother to cancer. Jin and Son are a pair of Korean nationals 
who were unable to speak English effectively segregate themselves from the rest of the survivors. Mm. It is unclear at the pilot's end whether the pair are siblings, cousins, lovers, co-workers, or something else entirely. Mm, that's right. So tier four is Shannon, Boone, Claire, Michael, Walt, Jin, and Son, and all by himself on tier five is Locke. The sinister-looking codger who spends pretty much the entire episode alone at the edge of the waterline, smiling creepily at his fellow survivors. His last words in the pilot, spoken to the youngster Walt, are, Do you want to know a secret? Ooh. Ooh, that takes a whole different perspective now. That's awesome. What are you thinking? I'm thinking that it's not the case, but that could now be written to be, you know, Jacob or the dark-shirted guy. Like it's our, they've already got their hands on them at that point. Now I know the secret was something. Actually, no, wasn't the secret just that this is a magical place? He never actually said I used to be in a wheelchair. I th- I thought that was his secret that he told Walt that he wasn't being able to walk before he landed on the island. I don't remember him ever. Say- he might have said it. No, he. I don't think it was actually said, but I think that's. The line "Do you want to know a secret?" can mean so many things. There's oh, so yeah. many secrets that that guy's got. But it would be pretty cool if it was. If you want to know a secret, this is all going to be. <laughs> it's all a dream. It's all going somewhere, yeah. Two more quick bits here. So, what's not so great about the pilot? One could quibble a little bit about the show's logic at junctures. Many, upon seeing the plane's wreckage, may wonder how many people survived this horrific disaster. Since one survivor is left with a giant hunk of shrapnel jutting out of his chest, does it really make sense for the only surviving doctor to wander off on a search mission? Why is everyone so sure that the pair of handcuffs signifies as a fugitive among the survivors? The cuffs could be somebody's sex toy or have fallen from the belt of a sky marshal, right? Finally, and this may be because my particular copy of the pilot was a little muddy, it's difficult to make out the unseen monster's distant wake. What's so great? The characters, the action, the mysteries, the pacing, the comedy, the many grisly mishaps, the special effects, the twist endings, blah, 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 all around just terrific. And it gets five stars from Hercules T. Strong. Awesome. Well, that's I find it interesting that there's so much of an effort to link this to Gilligan's Island in terms of finding parallel characters and all. Yeah. I mean, maybe because that's one of the only television shows, that and Survivor that have this kind of context but I've I've never actually caught Gilligan's Island so when did that run do you know that was 60s oh right okay fair enough and it was it was just silly you know it was it was never intended to be any sort of drama right okay was it a bit like Lost in Space but on an island pretty much right but Lost in Space didn't have the, the sense of comedy even that Gilligan's Island did. Gilligan was just a screw-up. He he was clumsy and, and good-natured, but always accidentally sabotaged what would have been their chance to get off the island. Right, okay. So I get the sense from that intent to create a parallel that people reviewing the show thought Lost was going to be about this effort to get off the island, and maybe not every episode would be a rescue attempt. You know, like in uh, Gilligan's Island, they would one episode they would be attempting to build a raft and something would go wrong with the raft and then the next week they would see a helicopter someone would come to the island promise to get them off the island and then back out of the promise at the last minute right so okay. it was every episode there was the hope of getting off and then 
for whatever reason it was ruined. Yeah. And I wonder if they thought that's what Lost was going to be. Every month or every week, they would go toward one resolution and it would get yanked away. Oh, you imagine if they'd gone down that route, what a pony program it would have been. Oh, yeah. That would have been terrible. How many chances have they... How close have they come? There was Jack and Juliet with the submarine. That that was They were going to get off the island. Yeah, and Locke blew it up, yeah. And there was Walt got to go home, but couldn't ever tell anyone where he was. No. Um, but um, I, I think they haven't really had that many chances. No, they haven't yeah. even tried that much. <laughs> well, they tried on the on the raft, didn't they? Mm-hmm. They didn't even try in Desmond's sailboat. Uh, and the only other one is on the submarine where Juliet and Sawyer were on there. Well, I'll give you something. Claire with the notes on the pigeons or on the seagulls. Do you think oh, anything yeah. will ever come of that? I wonder if that pigeon got away then. Or the seagull got away. Maybe it's still out there flying around going, I'm in a snow globe. <laughs> <laughs> Getting very, very tired. Poor little fella. Now, thinking about the, um, the Lost in Space, did you ever remember watching... Uh, is it Land of the Giants? Where all the guys were running around huge giant people. Hence the name Land of the Giants. <laughs> that was brilliant. I think it was on Sundays over here. You, you either, either had um, Lost in Space or you had Land of the Giants. And it was just pure cult TV. It was brilliant. <laughs> no, I never saw it. I'll have to look for it online to see if I can find some information. Alright, well, we have the five-star review of Lost, but then... Herc conducted an interview by email with Damon Lindelof where he sent probably about uh, what do you think about 20 questions to Damon Lindelof and, or I don't know if it was back and forth or how they did it but we'll put the link up for the entire interview but there were a couple things in there that we found interesting and remember this is August 16th to 18th 2004 yeah so this is even before it's even aired isn't it right well so we asked a couple of questions about the format of the pilot and how what he saw at Comic-Con would compare to what ends up on TV. But then he, he did move on to talking about the direction the show would go. So one of the questions is to Damon Lindelof, you're on record as saying there'll be no dinosaurs on the island. Will we get a look at one of the giant tree-stomping creatures within the first 13 hours? And Damon Lindelof says, no dinosaurs. Will you get a look at the thing in the trees in the first 13 I'll only say, maybe you'll see it, maybe you won't. But you will definitely know much more about it. Ooh. And I don't know. I don't think we know that more, much more about it. We saw it, but we don't know much about it. In the first 13 hours, so that's half a season, isn't it? Right, I don't think we... I don't think we see it at that it point. It grabbed Locke and pulled him down. I don't know when that happens. Uh, That's after 13, I think pretty sure and how ironic remember Locke wanted to go he was so mad at Jack for saving him that's right yeah but Locke encountered it before that point as well I think in the, the third episode I think it was on the right. walkabout episode he actually encountered it we saw um, the camera pan from the view of the monster whatever it was at that time mm -hmm. and it appeared over Locke and he had like a, a bit of a scared face on him but we don't actually catch a glimpse of it. I think the the real time that we really do see it, isn't it? Do we see it before Echo? I I think we do. We must do. But I don't know if we saw the whole... I mean, there was a point where we saw the monster 
as like a, a full-bodied kind of massive cloud. Yeah, I don't that, think we see that until later. No, we see that in uh, season one. That's where um, there was a really bad episode where uh, Locke, he made some paste up, put it on Boone's head. Right. And tied him up. And he had hallucination dreams of the smoke monster and it bursts out through the floor. Mm-hmm. And that's the first proper glimpse we get of where the monster comes from. And I remember an interview saying that is the, the biggest clue that we're going to give you about the the smoke monster, the way it actually just it just explodes from the ground. Mm-hmm. I guess in hindsight, we had chances to. We saw a lot of facts about the monster. We just didn't realize <laughs> what they were. So I mean, now now that we've seen seasons one through five, we can look back and say, oh, that parallels what happened when. Ben controlled it or called it or, or how it manifested itself. Yeah. So another question is, will the survivors divide up into good and evil factions as the survivors did in Stephen King's The Stand? And I've never read The Stand, and I don't want to misdirect anybody or, or pronounce it wrong, but um, there are definitely comments in the reply that say The Stand is a definite inspiration, but staying away from that part, will they divide up Lindelof says absolutely but not necessarily into teams of good and evil Mm. I'll say this it takes a little while to figure out who falls into which of those categories and once someone's defined as good it doesn't mean they stay that way think of Anakin Skywalker Ah. so I guess like Sawyer is a perfect example of that in reverse seemed like the bad guy yeah and by the you know where we are now he's he's a good guy yeah, he, he did take a, a mean twist in the first couple episodes, didn't he? Even yeah. through the whole first season, he was a bit of a, a butthead. And I guess if you're looking for someone who went the other direction, maybe Michael is really the one that stands out to me the most. Yeah, I, I think he's the biggest one that turned, but he was always after his son, wasn't he? So yeah, there's a good reason for him turning, and you can't blame him for doing anything for his kid. Well, let's see. Another question was, will the survivors name their island? I guess thinking of Survivor and how there's a reference to Moga Moga. So maybe that's the name that was used on Survivor. I don't know offhand. Lindelof says they will not name their island, but it's not to say they won't discover it already has a name. Ooh. So I thought that's interesting. See, this and then the follow-up question makes me think that they may very well have had a lot of this planned out because the next question says I'm guessing the crash the location of the crash etc was dictated by something more than happenstance moreover I theorize the plan is to make another airliner crash on the island before season 4 right am I nuts and Damon Lindelof says neither the crash nor anything else is dictated by happenstance as to another major crash before season 4 hmm well, probably not another airliner, but certainly something. Ah, so we'll, we'll see. We it, did have another crash in season five, though. Yeah, we also had the Nigerian airline that crashed. Desmond and the balloon. Yeah, Desmond's boat crashed. The balloon crashed. I would bet, in terms of, of mapping out the story ahead of time, Lindelof was thinking of the balloon in the... Well, I, I thought maybe the balloon, because they always had... Ben would be a character, but wasn't going to be the leader of the others. Yeah. So if they were going to bring the others in, that this was how they were going to bring them in, that there would be this balloon and someone pretended to be the pilot of the balloon. Yeah. But maybe they were thinking of Desmond, that they would always knew there would be a hatch. I hope so. Would would they class the Tailey as a different crash? No, I don't think so. No? 
Um, they they could no. they could possibly because, they could. because they spent most of the season one just talking about the front end. You get hints of the back end being there when Boone's in in the Nigerian airplane and Rose swearing that Bernard's alive. Yeah, so that could be classed as a not a separate crash, but crash number two because there is a whole episode dedicated to just that and what happens after that. Hmm. Just just my little theory, but I think that's a good point. Let's see, another question is, will more than 10% of the 48 lost survivors perish before the series' 13th hour? So, will it be cut down to 44... Will five people die in the first 13 episodes? Ooh. Is the high fatality rate the reason you didn't name the series the 48? On the same topic, was there much freaking out when it was learned NBC aired a reality series called Lost only three years before? So, Lindelof says, more than 10% before the 13th hour. In other words, will five people perish over the first half of the season? Not going to answer that one. I will say this, the herd will be thinned. <laughs> but that doesn't mean people have to die. And they knew about the other thing. That that could incorporate Saeed walking off on the island. Going to scout around the island. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Beyond the plane's pilot and discounting flashbacks... Will we meet during the first 13 hours any human beings beyond the 48? Lindelof says, I will not comment on whether or not we will be meeting any other human beings on the island who are not on the plane. But I will posit this. Who's to say we haven't already? That would be Ethan ah, he's talking about. Yeah. Had we seen him in the pilot? I don't think we saw him in the pilot. I think he was introduced just after. Ooh. I think it was just yeah, just after. And I like the way that he was carrying that big water bottle with um, mm -hmm. the Dharma logo on it as well. <laughs> but at the time, you just don't notice any thought things, do you? No. One more question here. I think it's worth going just because we mentioned it. When the creepy Terry O'Quinn character asks young Walt if he wants to know a secret, is he about to impart some really good backgammon strategy? <laughs> and Lindelof says yes. Terry's secret is don't be afraid to leave lots. So there's there's a lot more to that interview. We can leave it for people to poke around and look, but yeah. Anything that catches your eye there? I know we didn't go through it, but the the cannibalism one. Really, oh yes. Really caught my eye. Uh, they asked the question: Will cannibalism be contemplated? And how many of the how many of the survivors do you think saw alive? Now, it would have been it would have been quite brutal to bring cannibalism into the program, wouldn't it? Yeah. I think they try to steer clear of that and you've got so many aspects of so many other films like Lord of the Flies on there already you don't want to pull too many uh, strings to, to get too many notices of other films in there really do you but right, I, I don't know how they would have shoehorned that into the program right well what was the reply that they're not on a snow-capped mountainous peak they have fish wild game and fruit yeah so that they can kind of get around it with the abundance of, of natural resources, plus eventually they're going to find the pallet and the hatch and all that stuff. Yeah, but they did say they contemplated it, but... I have to think back. I can probably picture somebody saying something like that. Like Sawyer making a comment to Hurley. <laughs> he better be careful. <laughs> Everyone starts uh, digging in when he's asleep, finds a fork in his bum. Well, the, the thing that comes to me from this is I just get a little bit more of a sense that there was a plan, and I understand that there was a plan that I'm sure was adapted many times over the seasons but in this interview I just find little threads of things that, that just make me 
give the a little more the benefit of the doubt that there were definitely components here that that were mapped out start to finish or or deep in and overall i'm just struck by how much the interviewer and and in the review as well had their own impressions and then it became a matter of this is what i think am i right and then when they weren't right it was adapted not chopped out and come up with a new interpretation because i think a lot of people watch lost and they they see things and they make judgments and then they adjust what they think as opposed to throwing it out completely so some of those early impressions are tough to shake yeah i think it took a lot a lot of episodes to understand what sort sort of program we had on our hands here yeah the way it's actually set out and the way it's going to run the actual story if you're going to try and sell a story like this where uh if they'd gone into the board and said okay we got six seasons worth here i know they didn't have that at the time but it's got to run over six seasons and by season four then you might start getting a grasp of it i don't think they would have ended up selling it right they've just sold it on the first season which was brilliant in my own uh, perspective well since we're talking about initial impressions what we've also got here is from entertainment weekly october 5th 2004 so it's not the pilot it's not even i guess it is probably after the first two parts of the pilot but either way, it's, it's very early in. And so basically, ABC's hit drama, it's being called now, 14 key castaways have been identified. And what they do is they go through and they give you like a profile of these 14 key castaways. So similar to what uh, Herc had done with identifying the tiers, we can take a quick run through here with the 14 and then we'll welcome your feedback. Okay. So the first one is who? Jack Shepard, the sexy doctor. Okay. I can't see it myself now. And so they talk about who the actor is. And his defining moment is almost immediately after the crash. He takes charge by performing triage on the wounded and dying. His quick thinking annoys him as the super cute leader of the pack. Oh, they called him super cute. Oh, this is Entertainment Weekly. That's the kind of magazine it is. And he should have packed antibiotics. Yeah, he's on a spiral straight away. If you're going to get called super cute, you're on a spiral down to nothing, really. Poor little fella. Well, I think people, again, are looking at this show thinking that that there would ultimately be a lead. You know, that it wasn't going to always be a story with 15 stars. Mm. And where you could go a whole series of episodes without him. Actually, some of the least popular episodes were the ones about him... Sawyer and Kate when they were on the Hydra Island. Yeah, that's right, yeah. When no one else was in the story. No, it all seemed to drag on just a wee bit too much then, didn't it? Yeah, you need the other people. Yeah, even the flashbacks sometimes with uh, Jack or Kate, I always groan a little bit when it's one of them two. I'm like, okay, we have to go through this to get the whole story, but I don't want that. I want a Hurley one. I want a Charlie one. Alright, who's next? Uh, We have Kate Austin. They call her the adorable escapee. Until they started to hate her in season four and wish she was dead (laughs) in season five. So her defining moment is in a flashback when we learn that helpful, sweet-natured Kate is a prisoner being transported by a federal marshal. She ditched the handcuffs when the the marshal was injured. Mm. She should have packed a fake ID. (laughs) Just in case they get rescued. The best bit of her in the first season is when she's pulling the guy from the burning truck 
and his arm mm -hmm. falls off. And oh no, I would have just picked that up, thrown that over there, and grabbed two arms on the other arm. And <laughs> didn't did you forget that he had one arm? I suppose you're going to when you got a burning car next to you, though, aren't you? <laughs> There's so much going on. Don't yeah. don't expect so much of her. She's adorable. <laughs> All right. So who's next? Uh, we have Boone and Shannon, and they call them oh. the Bickering Siblings. Well, that's a good name. Yeah. And their defining moment would be Shannon decides to sunbathe rather than build camp, igniting a bitter argument with responsible Boone, who actually turned out to be a flake. He was kind of just a lost puppy dog. He was a conduit to get to a, a certain point, wasn't he? But he was in one of the most important episodes where they found the hatch. Yeah. I think when uh, he he decided to turn around and lock through a torch at him, and it landed, and all you heard was donk. Donk. Yep. Next up would be who? Next up is the wonderful Charlie. Charlie. I can't remember it his name. Probably... Charlie Pace. Charlie Pace. Yeah. That's it. Sorry, the drug addicted rock star, the bass player. He's probably the biggest star too, right? Out of all the actors in there, he's coming off Lord of the Rings. I was surprised to see him in there. I was very surprised. I was like, "Whoa, hang on, what's he doing in there? He's out of Lord of the Rings." What if he signed up for it before Lord of the Rings, and it was like, "Oh, damn!" No, it's a good Fine, move. Fine, not. Well, it's Hawaii. Yeah, that was a cracking move, though, wasn't it? Yeah. So let's see his defining moment. Is sure he's sure the flight crew is going to bust him for drug possession, and stuffs his drugs into the toilet just seconds before the plane crashes, <laughs> and then gets bounced around the toilet in the process. Yep. Awesome. And what's he doing the pilot? He just wants to get back to that toilet and get his drugs. Yeah, that's right. That actually it was pretty clever to write a character like that in. I mean, realistically, on the airplane, there's going to be someone doing something like that, or even if not with the drugs with them actually in the uh, cabin of the plane but if you're crashed on an island I know if I crashed I, I need my glasses or I'm basically blind mm -hmm. you know there's going to be people who need their you know diabetes medicine or they'll go into shock and, and there's people who are addicted to whatever that they're going to be yeah I'm going to need my iPhone fits. if I crash on an island <laughs> I'd be lost without that now it's not the drugs I need my iPhone I need the internet reception please you can't get a signal where's the bars <laughs> Give me a bar! <laughs> Alright, who's next on the list? Hurley. Lovable Hurley. I'd love a big bear hug from that guy. It'd squish me though, man. The size of his arms. They're like my waist. It's ridiculous. Let's see, his defining moment, he's not just jolly, he's also resourceful. Shortly after the crash, Hurley gathers food from the plane and distributes it to the survivors. Yeah, that's right, he passed the all the cabin food around, didn't he? Yeah. Gave two to Claire. Oh. <laughs> Alright, who's not, next? Not a lot to say about him, really, is there? Right, next, Saeed Jalal. They call him the Iraqi soldier, because he's an Iraqi soldier. <laughs> now, do they torture him early? Like, Sawyer tries to blame him for the crash, right? Yeah, they kick up a stink, don't they? In the pilot, they have a fight. Him and Sawyer are having a fight, and he's calling him Mohammed and other bits and bobs like that. Well, his defining moment is not the torture scene, but when Saeed is able to fix the plane's broken transceiver, other passengers put aside their suspicions that he might have caused the crash. Oh, who we got next? Uh, Michael and Walt, and they're the, the daddy and kid combo. 
the defining moment is Walt, desperate to find his missing Labrador, instead finds Kate's handcuffs. So now, are we thinking Vincent is the real Vincent, or is he a manifestation of the island and thus leading them to different things? Because he seems to to always be bringing them near stuff. I, I just vaguely can remember them following Vincent somewhere, and they find the handcuffs, they find other items. No, but there's always a kid with a dog. You've got to have a kid with a dog. Otherwise, what's the kid going to play with all the time? He's going to be pointless, and he's going to be the annoying little kid. So if you give him a dog, he can play off in the corner when he's needed and bring him in. All right. If this was our other podcast where we do the moral every day or every episode, the moral would have to be if you're going to cast a child actor, use a computer (laughs) to project what they're going to look like when they get older. <laughs> they, there has to be a way to know, well, gee, his dad is six foot four, his mom is five foot ten. Uh, this kid's going to shoot up fast. Oh, he did. he's taller than me now. Oh. He'd bash his head on my ceilings in my house. He's huge. <laughs> it's great when we see him later on, he sits down next to Hurley. <laughs> and I love like, when he starts talking like Echo. For, Hello, Hurley. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I've converted to the other religion. Hurley should have turned around and said, Dude, your balls are dropped, man. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, who are we up to now? Ah, Sawyer. James Ford. But we didn't know him as James Ford at this point, did we? Did we know? No. We, we knew his name. No, from the manifest we did. But that was right. a, a couple of episodes in. So yeah, just Sawyer. The angry smoking guy. And his defining moment is when he pulls out a gun and shoots the polar bear. And people wonder where he got the gun from. Now, I don't remember him smoking much. I mean, maybe early, but it's hardly been an issue. No, it hasn't really been brought up. He hasn't pined for them or anything like that, has he? Nobody smokes on the island, really, do they? He's at down to the island, fixing his uh, need for uh, cigarettes. All right, who do we got left? Locke's got to be next, right? Yes, John Locke. The friendly old guy. I wouldn't have called him the friendly old guy. I'd have called him the suspicious guy. Let's see. His defining moment is when he impresses Walt by describing the ancient game of backgammon while setting up his board. Again, this just sounds like they kind of knew it was going to come to be pieces in the game between black-shirted and white-shirted Jacob guys. Yeah, he said that Backgammon's one of the oldest games around. Mm-hmm. Who's left? Sun and Jin. How can we ah. forget it? Ah! Yeah, my favorite man. Controlling Jin carefully carves up raw sea creatures to feed his fellow castaways, but has few takers. Yeah, no one wants to eat any of the fish that he grabs at the first, do they? They're all rather yeah. picky, hoping that they're going to get rescued. Does she speak English right away? Or no, for a long time she... It's a, we see her talking to just Jen. It's a couple of episodes, isn't it, that we actually yeah. find out. When when do we find out? I think she comes up to Michael. Right. Ah, oh, no, no, it's not. No, I was going to say it's for um for Shannon and her asthma. Mm-hmm. It's about the watch. That's that's when we find out when she can speak English. Right. It's about the watch. I think Michael's wearing Jin's no son's father's watch. That was that Jin was asked to carry with him, right? 
and he starts pounding him into the sea, doesn't he? And then right, and she explains what's going on. Yeah, moving on. Claire, uh, Claire, and the unnamed baby, who supposedly is a big deal, but so far has been not much of anything. Give it time. Give it time. I think Aaron will play a big role, hopefully in in season uh, season six. I tell you what does take on another perspective now that we've seen everything. Um, ba -ba -ba -ba. Locke making him a crib. Locke taking care of him, nursing him, staying next to Claire. Protecting keep, Claire. Yeah, yeah, keeping an eye on her. That takes on a whole new perspective now. Yeah. And why was he doing that? What reason? And at what point did he decide, okay, now I'm going to look after her? Yeah, he wasn't nearly as protective of Sun. When no. Sun found out she was pregnant. No, not at all. No, it's a good little lost round up there on the the main characters in there. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure we have the links to everything we've talked about in the show notes. Um, we'll try to keep the episodes a little short. So when we wrap this up here and we can revisit some early impressions in a future episode. Mm -hmm. Send your theories or feedback or anything you want to rethinking lost at googlemail.com and we'll try and read every single thing out we do read everything don't we yes it's just whether we actually remember to read it out or not <laughs> that's right it's normally my fault so sorry about that <laughs> sorry. and uh you know you can follow our twitter follow us on twitter or catch us on our other podcast an apotheosis of a bombast which is available on itunes and uh we're looking forward to keeping this up for the rest of the summer. But thanks for being a part of it. Tell your friends and bring them along and write some reviews on iTunes as well, please. Yep. That would be appreciate good. all that. You don't have to, but you know, the odd one or two would be nice. All right. So we'll see you guys next week. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.